Howdy, this is Mississippi Public Broadcasting's weekly garden program. We call it the Gestalt Gardener, and I'm your host, horticulturist, Felder Rushing. Our producer is an awesome Java Chapman, and we're going to have fun for the next hour or so. Today I'm broadcasting live from the fantastic San Diego Botanic Garden, just selected as one of the top ten in the country. But again, we're live. We're coming in today's St. Patrick's Day broadcast where green is king. We got some, some e- interesting emails to share. Going to take your phone calls live. So sit back, folks, relax, because we are live here at MPB. I'm going to be talking with you in real time about what's going on or not in your own garden. Live program, folks. So sit back, join me as me and Java taking a few bits of news. We'll be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Alrighty, am I live? I can't really tell. Am I on, Java? Yes, sir. You are on and, uh, and popping. I, I, I was just making myself a cup of coffee. I watered outside because it is cool and foggy. I'm in Encinitas, California, looking right out over, literally looking out over the Pacific Ocean. And I'm staying in a, in a, a, a farmhouse on a place called the Ecky Ranch. Ecky, uh, a lot of people who know poinsettias know that the Eckies were the folks who 100 years ago started marketing poinsettias, uh, started peddling around the Los Angeles area, and they branded them as the Christmas flower. Uh, And they took over. At one time, the Ecky Ranch produced 90% of all the poinsettias grown in the United States. And I'm here at their ranch. So I'm giving a talk in a little while tonight and – one tomorrow and one Sunday at the fantastic San Diego Botanical Garden. It's one of the top gardens in the country. As a matter of fact, uh, the American Public Garden Association just came out with a with an announcement that from Mexico, United States, and Canada, San Diego Botanic Garden is one of the top ten botanic gardens worth making a special trip to go see. I've been real fortunate to have been at six of the top ten. There's one in Canada I haven't visited and three in Mexico I haven't seen. But of all the botanic gardens in the United States, I'm at one of the best. Lovely, lovely place. But we're going to be talking live about gardening this morning. And uh, what's weather? We've got plenty of sunshine, Java? Uh, Yeah, the sun's peeking out a little bit. It's still a little cold to say that spring is coming up on Monday. But, uh, you know, it's Mississippi and we have five seasons (laughs) within a day. Okay, now, Java, you, you've been my producer long, long enough to know that I'm going to be charitable in most of what I say, but haven't I for the past three or four weeks been telling people don't plant your tomatoes because it's going to get cold? Yeah, you've been very adamant of don't get <laughs> fooled by the, the hot weather. Yeah, hey, a phone call's call drawn in. Well, we're, uh, you know, this is, we, we got cold this past week. Uh, if you'd have had tomato plants or seeds like beans or corn or something like that, that cold, wet rain causes a lot of diseases to root. So, folks, if your plants are a little stunted or they're a little slow to produce this summer or you got skips in your rows, it's just because you're trying to jump the gun. Now, we always say wait till Good Friday to plant, but Good Friday is way up into April this year. And I think it's all right to start planting sometime next couple of weeks. But we like to wait till the soil temperature is up to 50 degrees or above and it's going to stay there. 
for, for plants to really, really grow well. Now, those of you who haven't planted, time to get started, at least start to get, uh, starting to think about it. Uh, we got some things coming up this, uh, this, uh, coming month or so. And if you have any kind of events you'd like me to help promote, garden related stuff, uh, just shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. Uh, St. Patrick's Day today, woohoo, uh, is what more appropriate way to start it than to talk about green stuff here on Gestalt Gardener. But uh, in a, a couple of weeks, we've got the Flora Plant Swap. It's March the 30th. It's always on the last Thursday of the month. Uh, Flora Plant Swap, March 30th, starts at 9 in the morning. And uh, what we do is we ask people, and it, it's huge. It's the, the longest running in the country. Uh, and there's usually, oh, 50, 60 people or more there. Everybody brings a plant or two, one or two plants, no more than that, unless you want to swap them informally. But for the plant swap, uh, we lay the plants out, we number them, and uh, they pass a hat around. You pull a, a number, whatever number you get, that's the plant you get whether you like it or not, or whether you brought it or not. Uh, but then the real swapping begins. It's really informal. The whole idea, though, is to get really good plants, cool plants, locally grown plants that are easy to grow, that people have grown in their own gardens and have potted up, ready to go for somebody else to try. It mixes interesting people and interesting plants all together. And uh, I think it's, it is free. So anyway, hope to see you all there. I'll be there. Uh, again, uh, Thursday, March the 30th, starts at 9, so you get there well ahead of time at the March Library. Now, we've got a caller on the line. Jim is calling from Jackson. Good morning, Jim. What's up, man? Hello? Uh, Felder, Jim, how yes, you doing? I'm doing fine. What's up, man? I plan to put out some early girl tomatoes this weekend. My garden down at the law school is catching the sun now. But uh -huh. in the long-range forecast for 15 days uh, doesn't show anything under 40 degrees. But somebody told me that we'll, we'll expect a frost in early April. Do you think there's a chance of that? Well, I don't predict the weather like that, but we've had snow in April. And uh, the most important thing, uh, Dean, is that we want it to be 50 or above because it's, the, it's, the, the, it's not the air temperature, it's the soil temperature. If you put tomatoes in the ground and their roots are cold or, or chilly, they get stunted, and that can cause problems later when it's time to start producing you got more top than than bottom so if you of course you've got raised beds and they tend to warm up a little bit better so you can probably get away right. yeah do this if you normally mulch go ahead and plant them but don't mulch them so the sun can hit the the dirt directly and help warm it up a little bit and then you can mulch I've, it later i've got my bags of uh shredded leaves ready to mulch so i'll hold off on that then yeah, just just wait because again, as long as the sun can shine on it, then that'll help warm it up. But the main thing is that it's the soil temperature because we have a lot of times people set out tomatoes and peppers uh, in the spring and the plants grow fine, but when it's time to start producing, they don't do as well because they grow above the ground quicker than the roots could develop in the in the soil in the spring. So that's that's a real critical thing. Thanks for your good advice. Oh, let me ask you this. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, I sort of fessed up in one of my Claire Ledger columns not too long ago. I did a thing on fake news, and uh, one of the fake news was rushing was arrested and uh, because I admitted stealing some of your tomatoes there at the law school. I've decided not to prosecute, though, so you're a home free. <laughs> well, actually, you had told me because I, I got her from the fence, the other side of the fence, and you said it was federal properties. <laughs> That's the anyway, I thought parking that. garage, right. There you go. All righty. Well, listen, uh, just hold your horses, Dean. 
Okay. I just get so eager, though. <laughs> I know it's it's called you're getting an endorphin rush. Go go to you know go to a flower show or something. Relax. We got all. I'll something. do that this weekend. I'll go to the garden show this weekend. Okay. Appreciate your call, Jim. Thank you so much. Hug your Thanks sweetheart. So. All right. All righty, Java. Yeah, this guy's a, he's the dean of the law school, Jackson, I mean, the uh, Mississippi College School of Law, and he has a garden where he grows tomatoes and, and okra and peppers and stuff there on the law school campus. It's great. Oh, that's beautiful. So, um, I wonder if um, you get extra extra credit if you come help in this garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, actually, uh, my, my ex-wife my, and uh, my good friend Terrell and our son, both graduated from there, top of their classes, too. So, anyway, uh, I'm looking out this window. The fog is out there. I can barely see the ocean. I'm, I'm up on a hill at Encinitas, which is just north of San Diego, and I uh, got it kind of late last night. It's chilly out there because Southern California always gets up to the upper 70s and 80s, just about year-round, but it cools down at night to the 50s and 60s. That fog really rolls in, but... Uh, I wanted to share something. Anybody who's been to San Diego knows what a beautiful town it is. It's just a, a it's a, a sparkling, it's a horticultural gem. Um, it's just got so much horticulture and gardening going on here. But I, I found a, uh, a a quote that I'm going to share with the folks at this garden tonight that uh, they may not be aware of. But in uh, 1865, the very first school teacher to come to San Diego, a woman named Mary Chase Walker, 1865. She wrote, of all the dilapidated, miserable-looking places I have ever seen, this is the worst, an altogether dreary, sun-blasted point of departure for nowhere. Oh! Anyway, the place has changed a lot since the 1860s. Uh, let's go now to Gulfport and talk with Tim. Hey, Tim, thanks for calling, man. What's up? Tim? Yes. Oh, hey, um, we're, we're, concerning, concerning planting time, uh, I always suggest that people watch pecan trees. They tend to bloom at exactly the right time to plant. Yep, that's right. Just about the first week in April for central Mississippi, a little bit earlier down south, but that's, you're right. Now, there, now there, there is an alternative you may be familiar with in Great Britain, and of course it may be illegal in Mississippi, but uh, in Great Britain I have more than one occasion seen uh, gentlemen farmers drop their pants and sit down. <laughs> we actually have a similar tradition. Uh, I haven't seen that, and I do a lot of walking around uh, England and Scotland and Wales. Uh, we have a tradition here. It's when the, fish, the people fishing on the riverbank, if they're still sitting on the bait bucket, it's too cold to plant. Exactly. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if your buttocks are comfortable, then you can put seeds in the ground. If it's too cold and wet to sit on it, it's too cold and wet to stick a tomato in it. That's a good point. But you're right about the, the uh, pecans. I forget the word for that. Um, some kind of word where you do things according to to natural rhythm, you know, cues in nature. It's okay. It's not uh, think, That's not. Oh, can't think of the a, word it's myself. A, yeah, it's, it's a good word. But uh, it, anyway, um, when the pecans leaf out, typically the first week or so in April in central Mississippi, it's going to be a week or two earlier down south, a week or two later up north. But that's that's right. a good indication. All right. Well, I appreciate your call about that, Tim. Thank you. Now we're gonna take a break, folks. What? Yeah. Hey, did, Java, I'm at, I, I'm getting your text. How about that? Woohoo! Oh yeah, we we done. we own it today because I was just about to tell you we need to go ahead and take a break. <laughs> this uh, is our first remote together, ain't it? Yeah, we working hard and we working we working smart. 
Well, I just want to let you know that this is the only time where it's impossible for me to punch the wrong button, so don't mess us up, boss. <laughs> I'm not going to follow your lead. <laughs> okay, folks, there's another event coming up. We'll have, we have plenty of time to talk about it later, but it's going to be uh, on up into April where the Metro uh, Master Gardeners are having a plant sale Saturday, April the 22nd. That's going to be uh, later in April in Monell Gardens. I'm going to be at that one, too, but really looking forward to the plant swap coming up at the Florida Library on Thursday, March the 30th. I really hope to see y'all there. I've been going for many, many years. It's a lot of fun. I'm Horticulture's fellow Russian. Uh, Java Chapman and I, my producer, are bringing this Gestalt Garden program to you by way of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We appreciate all the listeners, all the supporters from the five or six states that we have uh, regular callers from. We're going to take a little short break and come back with more of Gestalt Gardener here on MTB right after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okay, okay, folks. Welcome back again. Horticulture Spell to Rushing. Taking your phone calls live here, even though I'm in just north of San Diego, California, a place called Encinitas. Uh, by the way, I was stationed in the military. I was in the Navy during Vietnam, and I lived down in San Diego and actually worked in a garden center uh, part-time when we weren't, because uh, I was in the Navy band. And if we weren't playing or performing or traveling someplace, I worked at a local garden center. Had a whole lot of fun. And this will surprise a lot of people who think I don't like lawns or irrigation. But in 1974, I actually installed, a friend and I actually installed the irrigation at the Methodist Church in Coronado, California, a little island uh, right in the middle of the San Diego Bay. So I put it, I was putting the irrigation down before a lot of y'all were even born. Anyway, but one thing we did do is we had it where it wasn't on a timer. We had it where we turned it on when the grass needed it, not every other day like a lot of a lot of people do. Anyway, if you want to give us a call, it's live today. MPBonline.org is the is the email. Uh, garden at MPBonline.org. But the phone number is toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. And um, I, I've got a bunch of emails with Java I, I because I'm staring at my phone. I'm scared to to. to, to, to I'm gonna push your. I'm scared. I'm gonna push your button to go to my my email. I know, and I'm gonna. Uh, we go. We go get to your emails because your in, your inbox stays full. I appreciate all the listeners and um all the emailers. They they keep you real busy. But I saw this in I saw this in the news, Felder. Uh, you know the the cereal company. I guess they're just a food company. Uh, General Mills. They're yeah. um giving away a hundred million seeds for wildflowers. Um, with the hashtag Bring Back the Bees. Have you have you oh, heard about that? I have not. I have not. You're on top of things, boss. Well, um, I, I I try. That's a cool thing, but you know, it, 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 that's a that's a great idea. Uh, a lot of people actually plant wildflowers, but a whole lot of people don't realize we've got some of the coolest bee friendly, pollinator friendly, butterfly friendly plants you could possibly have that actually like it here. And that's what a lot of people call weeds in the lawn. The wild onions and garlic and henbit and, and uh, lyre leaf sage and the dandelions and the, all those kind of things that we call weeds are fantastic for, for, for our pollinators, especially in the late winter 
in the early spring. Uh, so what I recommend is people just wait before they mow their grass until everything else starts to bloom because once you cut those wildflowers down, they're gone for the rest of the year. People have got the worst, weediest lawns in February and March. By the time they start mowing a time or two, they've just got regular lawns. So it doesn't really hurt to have a, a late winter, early spring meadow right in the same place as the summer lawn. Um, but anyway, that's, that's really cool. It, 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 well, I would suggest this. I saw some wildflower seeds, uh, a mix that was uh, for sale at one of the local box stores in the Jackson area. And I just want to warn people a little bit about that. I did a publication, wrote a whole publication for the Mississippi Cooperative Extension Service at MSU called uh, Wildflowers for Mississippi Meadows and Lawns. And we did research on those mixes and found that usually only about a third of what's in that package has a chance of surviving. A whole lot better to choose the wildflowers that you like that grow really well and plant just those in a mix full of a bunch of stuff that would really rather be in Iowa or California or Florida, something like that. Nothing wrong with planting wildflowers, but you need to choose the wildflowers that grow best in our area. So anyway, uh, we have a caller from Grenada named David. Good morning, David. How are you this morning? I am good. How are you? Good. What's up? Fine. What's up? Well, I uh, up here in Grenada, we just had uh, yesterday and the day before it was cold. Oh, yeah. It was, it was supposed to have got below freezing. I don't know if it did or not, but... Uh, uh, my question is, I have some I have uh, some pear trees, and they have little bitty pears on, like some yeah. peas. And right. my question is, is it the cold that damages the fruit, or is it a frost on the uh, fruit that, kills, that harms them? Well, uh, actually, it's the cold. What happens when you have frost, just like when you have water? You know, you may have heard in Florida, if they're going to have a frost, they water their uh, their citrus or they... Are there yeah, problems, whatever? That. That's yeah. Well, well, what happens as that moisture uh, thaws, the heat in it goes into the fruit. But it, that only helps if it's going to get down to, you know, maybe the, the, the very upper 20s if you keep a continuous mist. But for frost to form, got to have cold temperatures. So that, that, that probably gets them too. A lot of pears can make it though. Sometimes all it does is thin out your fruit. You actually have a better crop as long as you don't lose everything. Okay, then. Thank you very much. That's what I mean. All right. Good, que- good question, man. I appreciate it. So while we call this Think Radio, I just had to scratch and think real quick. Appreciate it, man. Okay. Bye-bye. You know, this is uh, one of the chores I have not gotten around to in my own garden. I haven't had a chance to get around cutting back my, my uh, cast iron plant. Some people call it aspidistra. It's uh, kind of a, a ground cover that grows. It's a knee-high plant, but it spreads like a ground cover. It grows in dense shade. Matter of fact, it'll burn, uh, turn brown, even to get sunshine in the winter. But uh, the new growth comes up this time of year, and the old stuff gradually turns brown and fades away. And if you cut the old stuff off before the new stuff comes up, the new stuff comes up nice and clean and, and, uh, and bright green without all the, the old brown in there. Problem is, if you cut it too late, if you cut the old stuff too late on cast iron plant or on monkey grass, you nip the tips off the new growth that's coming up and it will look ragged until this time next year see so if you haven't already gotten around to cutting your monkey grass or your aspidistra uh be very very careful do it by hand and snip the old stuff without damaging the tips of the new stuff that's coming up it's just one of those things i just didn't get around to doing so uh one of the things that 
I think it's real interesting, and I want to share it today. Let me see if I got my notes here. Yeah, the 2017 color of the year. You know, a lot of times we we uh, forget that, that there's a lot of people thinking about colors and how they affect us and trends and things. There's a, a company called the Pantone, the Pantone Color Institute. Uh, they sort of work with with uh, uh, all the designers, interior designers, exterior uh, furniture people, all those folks, they get together and look for trends in color, and then they try to celebrate a color of the year, and they suggest all sorts of combinations and things like that. Last year was kind of a soft blue and pink combination, like you see when the sun is just starting to set and low clouds kind of turn to pink. Uh, before that was a reddish brown called Marsala, and I painted the door and the window trim of my cabin Marsala. <clears throat> Uh, one year it was radiant orchid, was looked kind of pink to me. And before that was my all-time favorite, tangerine tango. Tangerine tango is kind of a rich, rusty orange. I still have a deck painted that color. Anyway, this year, uh, because, because of all the weirdness in the world, the Pantone Color Institute plucked a fresh and zesty new color for 2017, and it's simply called greenery. Greenery, Pantone. Uh, the vi- it's a, sort of a vibrant green, kind of yellowish over- undertones, I guess, what makes that. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a real good way to reconnect with nature and something bigger than yourself. The color of greenery, kind of similar chartreuse. Now, Felder, how do we know? How do we know they didn't just throw a dart board at a at a uh, throw a dart at a <laughs> at a wall full of colors and pick that? <laughs> You know, you know, I'm, you know, you millennials, y'all are that way. You, you're, you suspect everything, but I do too. And it's a good chance there's a bunch of, of, uh, of yuppie, you know, young uh, women and men designers sitting around laughing about it. <laughs> hey, let's like, go with green. Yeah, let's just go with greenery. I think that'll be a good color for 2017. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, it, it could be. But, but get this. Every year, I paint something in my garden, a deck or some chairs or, or something like that. Every year, I paint something, the official color of the year, just to give myself a challenge to see what kind of plants are coming. One year, it was kind of a pink color, and I planted all sorts of lavender and purple flowers, and it was the gaudiest thing. I mean, you can see it from the space station. But uh, it's always a challenge for me to try to try something new every year. And by putting something, the color of the year out there, it gives me a chance to try to mix pots and flowers and things like that to come up with a fun combination. Otherwise, it would just been the same old, same old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I can get that. And I guess with the yeah. um, with the colors, uh, we got an email that came through um, about multiplying daffodil daffodil buds. Um, yeah, it's it's from from Jan, and she sent it. She said you mentioned that you could recommend five or six varieties of multiplying daffodil buds, and uh, yeah. she would love to know about those. Yeah, matter of fact, uh, I've got one of the things. My, my talk tonight is not till tonight. And I'm sitting down. We get off the air and going to catch up with my email. So that's one. I, I actually have several people with that. What we're doing is we're looking for type of daffodils. Which, by the way, the Latin name of daffodils is narcissus. A lot of people say narcissus and daffodils. No, they're the same thing. But uh, there's some that you plant and they bloom really well for a year or two, and then they just sort of turn into a clump of leaves. And there's some that bloom year after year after year, and there's some that bloom every year, and they also spread with new bulbs. And those are the ones that I want because I know they're going to do well. I know they like my area. And I know that I can always dig a few up and share with others and scatter them around the lawn or maybe fill in a whole big area with them under a tree. Uh, the problem is 
the ones that do well in North Mississippi may not do well on the coast because they make it's that much of a difference. So we're always looking for the ones that do the very, very best. The first one that comes to my mind is called paper whites. The paper whites, Latin name is Narcissus Pazetta. Nobody cares about that. But paper whites bloom every year and they get more and more and more. And there's another one called Jonquil. And this really surprised a lot of folks, Java. People have always heard of Jonquils and don't realize that they're just one of uh, several different species of daffodils. And the way you can tell Jonquils from all the other daffodils, real, real simple. Most daffodils have a leaf that's shaped like a flat butter knife. They're wide and they're flat. Jonquils are the only daffodils, the only narcissus, that the leaves are shaped like a quill, like a little round, like a porcupine quill. That's where they get the name Jonquilla. But they multiply and spread. And then there's a new variety called Tet-a-Tet, T-E-T-E-A-T-E-T-E. It spreads and blooms and multiplies for everybody. Between those three, that's a good start. Anyway, we got uh, some. Did you get my cheesy music? Yeah, I did. I got it. Um, I got to pull it. I got to cue it up. But I heard you mention um, Gulfport, Mississippi, and we got a. Yeah. You know, you you got tons of emails, but this is from Alina in Gulfport, and she wanted to know what are some edible plants uh, that do well in Gulfport. She wants to grow a small garden this year, and she just looking for some suggestions. Oh man, that's that's, that's uh, there's, there's whole books on that. Almost any kind of vegetable, and most herbs do do really really well. If you're not sure about that, you need to start with stuff that's going to be dependable. A lot of people start with what they've always heard about, like corn and beans and tomatoes and stuff. But if you're a new gardener, I would start out with something a lot simpler and bolder, uh, something like peppers, which are really really nutritious and they produce well. Maybe try a few tomatoes, uh, you know, just to get that started. But I would definitely plant uh, on the coast. I would put a rosemary plant. I would put an oregano plant. And I would put in the summertime, uh, I would plant basils because you can use those with all sorts of other stuff. You can make a, a homegrown tomato into a gourmet dish by sprinkling some homegrown basil on it. Um, but those are good starts. If you've got a little small area, you want to look for, for plants that produce a lot over a long period of time in a small space. Just an example, you wouldn't want to plant corn in a little garden because it takes a long time, and when you get done, one plant may, makes one or two ears of corn. By the time you get that cooked down, it won't fit in the palm of your hand, and that's it. But something like bush beans, or these little edible pod peas, or peppers, or things like that, they produce a lot over a long period of time. And I also wouldn't grow things that are real cheap to buy, like carrots and onions. They're a lot cheaper to buy than they are to grow for most folks. So anyway, I'll, I'll catch up with that email. And you know, whatever, I sort of distill it down into what I think are great beginner small garden type plants, I'll share with this next week. Well, I got the um, I got your music uh, queued up. This is an um, interesting selection. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I travel literally all over the world. Not bragging here because you know I you know how I am. I'm just a goofy old guy, but I do get to travel a lot. No matter where I go, whether it's San Diego or or Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or England, uh, to, to visit with my sweetheart, or whether anywhere, Japan, I'm always. Uh, Mississippi boy at heart. This, this, this where I can live anywhere in the world because I'm retired. But I like it where I live. I like my people. I like my, the cultures. 
I like the food, the music. I like the rhythms of the season. And it just can't get that back. you got to live it. Well, let's get into this Mississippi boy right now. And, uh, All righty. We'll take... You know the thing. You know the thing. Oh, yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Cheesy music. Everything's much too fast. I'm used to old dirt roads and the smell of the country grass. City's so high tech. I don't want to rattle my brain. Lord knows I'm a country boy. I want to go back from where I came. I'm just a Mississippi boy. Still got Mississippi mud on my boots. I'm just a Mississippi boy. MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie doke, folks. Welcome back. Morning, folks. It's Bella Rushing. Yeah, I'm just a Mississippi boy. I was from, I'm from a little small town up in the Delta. You know, we had a little cafe and a local butcher and drive-in movie and all that kind of stuff. And now that I live in a big city, I still got those small town roots. And I and I love the I love the feeling of a of a, of a small town, a neighborhood, a community. Uh, and you can have that in Jackson. You can have it on the coast. There's a, actually a word for it. It's a it's a, a Danish word, and it's got a funny spelling. It's, it's spelled H Y G G E. H Y G G E. It's pronounced Huga. Huga is sort of a feeling or a mood. It comes from from genuine pleasure, making ordinary everyday things simply extraordinary, celebrating them. Little things like making a cup of coffee with somebody that, that you like. Uh, it's a creating well-being, a connection and a warmth type of thing. Um, something that makes us comfortable in the home. Anyway, this garden program is, uh, during this, this garden party here on MPB, we all, Huga, uh, we're, we're, we're sitting around a table for a shared meal of garden lore. 
And if you've got some questions, some lore, some things you'd like to, to share with us, give us a call. It's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. We love talking about this, but more important, we enjoy being part of a bigger community of folks that may not have a whole lot in common, but we're all from that small town we call gardening. And, and another, yeah, yeah. Well, we got calls coming in, so we're gonna get them on in a while. But another uh, member of the community, Richard in Batesville, he sends an email. Uh, he needs your help with. Um, Hi, Mr. Feld. I have a hiccupus in a pot that needs repotting. Uh, can I do that now? And can I cut it back now? It's getting gangly branches <laughs> with no blooms. And uh, thanks yeah. in advance for your help. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what we call about. And uh, now here's the deal, the, the, it, the hibiscus and uh, the weeping figs and other big plants that we have to bring in the wintertime, if you bring them in in the winter, they drop all those leaves that were formed outside. So they, the, you know, they, their leaves get used to where they are. So if you bring them in, I cut mine back really, really hard, bring them in, put an all new growth over the winter. And then when I set them back out, I cut them back again. Because that stimulates new growth, it makes them not be so leggy, and that new growth is better adapted to the new outdoor growing conditions. So if he could want to repot it in just the next biggest size pot, I pull it out of the pot, and if the roots are tangled, then repot it. If it doesn't have a whole bunch of tangled, uh, matted roots, just kind of fluff it up and put it back in the same pot. Give it a little bit of fertilizer, not very much fertilizer, just a little bit, and give it plenty of sunshine and water it without keeping it wet. That's what hibiscus needs. It grows outside in, in Southern California, along the Gulf Coast, uh, most winters, Florida, South Texas. Um, but it needs sunshine, water without being wet, and just a little bit of fertilizer. But anyway, cutting it back, all that does is it'll make it uh, strong and healthy, put out real new, gro- new growth real, real fast. Good question, though. Um, let me see. I'm just looking at my notes here. No, that was that was David from Grenada. I think. Yeah, now, uh, now we have, um, I'm going to put on the line, uh, Henry in Meridian, and he wants to talk about uh, talk about his pecan tree. We got Henry in Meridian. I can do that. Hey, Henry, good morning, sir. Oh, good morning. Oh, I was yes, raised sir. in Pecan Grove. What can I help you with? Okay, I have pecan trees in my yard. There's a green uh-huh. moss been growing on them every year. What can I do yep. to get rid of that green moss? You're talking about on the trees itself? Yes, sir. We're on the trunk. You know, no don't way. need to do a thing. Don't need to do a thing. It's not doing. It's not hurting a thing. If you want to get rid of it, mix up some Clorox, spray it on there, and uh, within a few days it'll turn brown and shuck right off, but it's not hurting anything. Okay. It's not affecting the pecans because I haven't had any pecans on the tree in, in a while. No, that's, that's a whole different thing. What happens with pecans, a lot of people don't realize there's two kinds of pecan trees, those that shed their pollen early and their female flowers that turn into nuts uh, form later and those that, that, that uh, do their pollen late. If you have all one kind of pecan tree, if we get a rain, when their pollen is shedding, it washes all off. You won't have anything. So commercial growers plant different varieties out there. Otherwise, you're just sort of gambling on that. We also have trouble with... Uh, 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 a couple of insects, aphids, uh, that suck sap out of the tree and that weakens it. They don't make good pecans. And one more thing, I hate to sound like doom and gloom, but we have a, a real common disease that causes the pecans to be moldy on the inside. Uh, if you can't spray for those things, ain't nothing you can do about it except just hope we have the right combination of weather. They're not too wet, you know, while they're blooming, 
and uh, that, that we ha- that, that you don't have too many problems with insects and diseases. This is going to be a luck of the draw. What you can oh. do, though, is that, do you have grass growing anywhere near it? I have what now? Do you have grass out from out, out under the trees? I do. If you'll fertilize your grass every three or four years, the grass will appreciate it, but your trees will too. Pecan trees like a little fertilizer, but typically the fertilizer will last for two or three or four years or more. So, you know, if you never fertilize them, a little bit of fertilizer out on the grass will help the trees be a little bit healthier, more likely to produce better. Okay. Okay, I would try that. But Thank I, you. I wouldn't, worry, I wouldn't worry about the moss unless it's just irritating you because it's not hurting the tree. Okay, well, I was more worried about hurting the tree because I lost no. the cars off of Wandy's years. Yeah, yeah. Good luck on it. Just about it. Lucky as way we were. You know, when I was a kid, my granddaddy showed me how to walk around under pecan trees with soft shoes on. And you step on pecan, if it mashes in the ground, it's good. And you can bend over, pick it up. If it cracks, you just keep on walking. <laughs> okay, okay. Appreciate right, you we'll calling. That. Thank you. That's one of you bet. It's one of my first paid jobs when I was a kid. I was paid a nickel a pound to pick up pecans. Nickel a pound. One of my first jobs was in the horticulture industry. So uh, we got time to talk with Roger from Florence? Yeah, let's go ahead and put Roger on. Okay. Hey, Roger. Good morning. Hello, Roger. Well, good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm fine, Felder. Thank you for calling in when you got a few minutes before you're for your real job. Uh, oh, yes. No, this, this, no, one of this the, is my one of the real best job. Programs of, of public broadcasting, I and uh, thank you for that. I'm a loyal listener, but I've never heard you say anything good about snails. Snails are natural creatures in the garden, so is there anything good? Is there any positive about snails? Do snails do anything for us, or do we have to just kill them? I'm just going well, to no, we don't, listen. We, yeah, okay. That's, that's, that's a real good question. As a matter of fact, uh, I've got a, a little book all about snails. And when I was a kid, I actually had a pet slug that I kept in a terrarium and I fed it all the time. Uh, they're interesting creatures, but they're what we call uh, macro, what's the word, macro composters. You know, they eat stuff and they recycle stuff and they in turn become part of the food chain, which is really good for the little lizards, the little small snakes, and things are out at night. So birds don't eat snails and slugs because snails and slugs aren't out when birds are. Um, but they, 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 they sort of keep things cleaned up, you know. I hate to say it, but sort of like roaches. You know, roaches do the same thing in the jungle. They shuffle stuff out there. But uh, mostly they're just uh, – and there's a lot of subtle benefits – but one of the most important things is they're, they're a real nice, juicy part of the food chain. When I was in France, I found out that they can't really control their snails. So instead of trying to beat them, they just eat them. Put a little garlic and butter on some of them, they're just right. Uh, out, out here in Southern California, the uh, what they call the European brown snail, what they call escargot in France, has become a real serious pest and it's so bad that when they, when they irrigate the interstates to keep their flowers going, the, slug, the snails can come out so much they create a slick on the interstate and can actually cause traffic problems. But mostly, I would see them from a human point of view as a, a big part of the food chain, and I think they're, they're good for that. Anyway, I guess we need to take a little short break, Sir Java. Uh, Felder, and that's why you are the man. Yes, we do. All righty. You know, I just sort of felt you saying that to me in your mind. We're starting to mind meld here. <laughs> I'm a horticulturist, Felder Rushing. 
And uh, I'm almost always in the studio, and y'all know that. I spend a lot of time with my sweetheart over in, in England. Um, she comes over and visits me a lot. We travel a lot looking at gardens. And I'm always thinking about what can we do back in Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana, Tennessee and Arkansas. What can we do back home? And that's what MTV helps us do. It helps us pull together stuff that I see, things that you see, things we all want to know about, and share. Get together, do a little, as Jamie say, a little yoga out there. Anyway, we're going to take a little break, come back with more of the Gestalt Gardener. If you have emails during the week, shoot them to me, garden at mpbonline.org. I promise I'll catch up on them just as soon as I can. We're going to take a very, very short break. I'm right back with more of the Gestalt Gardener here on MPB. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okay, no, folks, welcome back. Horticulture Cell Rushing. We've got a call from Billy in Benton. Good morning, sir. Billy, how are you this morning? Hello? Hello. What's up, man? I want to know if you, if you could tell me the name of a small tree or bush that I could plant on my property land that would provide privacy for, for me and also uh, something for the birds to eat when it matures in the fall. Yeah, there's uh, there's actually some some good suggestions. Uh, if you want privacy, you want something that's going to be evergreen. It's out there all year, okay. unless you plant unless you plant things so thick, you know that that things can't make it through there. And actually, I think a mixed hedge, uh, which is how they do it in, in Europe a lot, it, instead of having all one thing, they'll put mostly one thing and scatter other stuff in between to sort of liven it up yeah. and give more more flowers for butterflies and also more fruit for the for the wild birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorites is a is a plant called Chinese Photinia. A lot of people know about red top shrub. Red, red top, top is a good hedge. Yeah, but there's a Chinese version that has kind of bronze new growth, big clusters of white flowers that bees and butterflies love, and then big clusters of berries later uh, in the summer. Uh, but what I would do is I would plant a variety of stuff uh, that has berries. There's a plant called Eliagnus. I'm not, you know, I know this kind of weird names to some people. Eliagnus is a real popular big shrub. It's evergreen. It has flowers uh, in the, 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 really the late fall, November, December. They're real fragrant. Then they have fruit that you can eat if you went, wanted to. They're real small. Look like little banana-shaped pears. Yeah. But uh, the birds just love them. Eliagnus is a real good, fast-growing uh, evergreen hedge-type plant that has great flowers. And, 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 but those that's just a couple of suggestions. Yeah. Again, I would mix stuff up. Red top of Eliagna, that'll work, then. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Nothing to it. Shoot me an email. I got and I come up with some more rather than just off the top of my head. Okay, appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. appreciate your call, man. Goodbye. Uh, yeah, I'm calling in today from the uh, San Diego Botanic Garden of uh, the American Public Garden Association. Just lit, named it as one of the top ten botanic gardens worth making a special trip to. I've been to six of the ten, but this is by far my favorite for a lot of reasons. For one thing, it's very Southern California. You know, they don't try to be. You know, they got a 
they don't try to have a Japanese garden, English cottage garden, all that. It's very Southern California native plants and, and uh, imported plants that do well here. It's got what we call a sense of place, which I enjoy in our own community, things that look like they're in the South. I think that's always a good uh, way to go. But also they have a real strong public outreach program. They have a whole lot of children's education, got a children's garden, and they do a whole lot to encourage people to come out and learn stuff they can go back home and do themselves instead of just looking at, taking a picture at that they'll never see again. So what we got going, sir? Uh, we got a, 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 a email just came in, too, hot off the press. Thank you to um, Susan in Columbia. She's tuned in, or um, or at least she just had the email handy. Uh, she's looking for a native button bush for her butterfly garden, and um, I've, she's read it grows by creeks, and she wants to know if she could find any in her area in Columbia. Uh, this, yeah, button bush. That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, button bush. Uh, if anybody's ever been on a canoe trip, they've seen it. The flowers look like a real, uh, uh, they almost look like white sweet gum balls. They're about the size and they're prickly like a sweet gum ball, but they're white. Uh, I don't know any garden centers that sell stuff. You know, I don't even know of any big garden centers in the area. There may be some places over in Hattiesburg, but uh, Columbia. Any garden center that orders plants for resale can order any kind of plant they want if they value it as a customer. But button bush is available online. It often shows up in, in uh, plant sales. Uh, I know they have them over at the uh, Botanical Garden in, in Mobile. A lot of times they have them uh, for sale in Jackson, uh, the Clinton Nature Center. So a lot of times you can find out where they're having native plant sales. But button bush will grow well in ordinary soil, but it does. it's one of the few that tolerates moist soils. You do see it naturally around creeks and riverbanks partly because that's where it grows, partly because ain't nobody gotten around to cutting all that stuff down yet. You know, further further away from the water, they've already cut it down and started growing pine trees there. But uh, anyway, button bush is a great plant. It blooms in the summertime. If you can't find one of those, let me suggest in the meanwhile you go with a plant called Vitex, V-I-T-E-X. Those by several common names, including a lilac chase tree. Vitex is a great plant, blooms the same time as button bush, better landscape plant. It's uh, like a small, thick, uh, uh, like a crepe myrtle tree with spires of rich blue flowers that bees and hummingbirds and butterflies just adore. So Vitex is a, a good alternative until you get around to finding a button bush. So how'd I do on that one, Java? Oh, you did good. I, and I typed in Vitex, V-I-T-E-X, right? Yes. Yep. And um, you know, in the herbal community, it's uh, they say it's used for. Uh, let's just say it's very female friendly. Uh, Vitex. Yeah, it's, yeah <laughs> it's, Lila, Lila, it's, it's not called chaste tree for nothing. There you go. All right, we got another. <laughs> we got another. It, 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 go ahead. It's a great plant. We we see it. I mean, there, there's one down the street from me. It's a, it's an old plant that they don't sell much of, but most garden centers are starting to sell it because it's an alternative to crepe myrtles that that wildlife love. Anyway, what we got? Well, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, ivy in oak trees. Let's see, Barbara. Uh, I mean, well, not Barbara, but uh, Marsha. She sends an email in. I cut English ivy from a large oaks six or seven years ago. Now it's coming back up the tree, and she wants to eliminate it completely. Yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to getting rid of ivy, it's not deep-rooted. It doesn't have underground rhizomes. It is, is what it is. And if you pull it and pull it and pull it, each time it gets less to pull the next time. But if you stay on top of it, get as much as you can right now while the soil is moist. But it's fairly easy to pull, and when it comes, a little bit comes back, pull it before it gets a chance to get established. 
And then you go back one time, maybe next year, and clean up any that you missed. But by pulling it two or three times, it gets easier each time. Uh, by the way, just for everybody's information, ivy does not hurt trees. I have pictures of ivy that is centuries old and trees that are centuries old in England. They don't, and they call it English ivy. But uh, ivy doesn't hurt trees. It doesn't. If you got a problem with the tree, ivy will keep you from being able to see it, but there ain't nothing you can do about that problem anyway. So anyway, ivy doesn't hurt trees, regardless of what you hear. If you don't like it, pull it up. That's your solution. If, but if, if you don't get around to pulling it up, it ain't hurting nothing. Sorry. You know, that's the nice part about MPB is it allows me to tell the truth. Cause I don't have to sell anything or convince anybody of anything. So if you don't like it's, it's like a beard. You either shave it or you don't. One or the other, but they ain't hurting anything one way or the other, unless you got soup in it or something. Or like my uh, like my wife says, when my beard gets thick, I can I can feed a bunch of baby birds. They live in my beard. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, it's, you know, you, you don't have to go. You know, I don't cut my hair. I got long hair, shoulder length hair. Been that way since the since the the, the early seventies, except when I was in the navy. I've always had long hair. But, you know, I shave real close. I know what to do. And I keep a little bit around, you know, I got a little mustache, a little patch under my under my bottom lip. So it's what we call grooming. I have some wild stuff, some really clean stuff, and something in between just to show that I know what to do. Now, Felder, we're sitting on about two and a half minutes uh, before we have to get out of here. Uh, just in case you got somebody on the West Coast, tell them where they can see you tonight. Oh, well, uh, actually, we have a lot of people listening to our podcast. So I'll tell next week. But I'm going to be at, I'm at the San Diego Botanic Garden. I'm staying at the Ecky Ranch. Ecky's where the people who basically invented poinsettias. They were the one that named it the Christmas flower uh, nearly 100 years ago. And uh, the Ecky Farm produced up to 90% of the poinsettias grown around the country for a long, long time. Uh, anyway, the San Diego Botanic Garden is just north of San Diego. It's a little town called Encinitas. Sort of the Fondren of California, I guess, or the or the Austin or the the Asheville of, of Southern California, and uh, a lot of old hippy dippy types here. But the Botanic Garden is fantastic. They've got a, a Galapagos tortoise that's seventy five years old that I can ride on, and uh, I've known I've, I've known that turtle for a long, long time. Uh, anyway, we're going to be talking about the the art of gardening tonight. If anybody wants to come on, come on. Otherwise. I'm going to see folks at the floor plant swap in a couple of weeks. That's going to be on March the 30th. Really have a good time with that. Thursday morning. It starts at 9, so you have to get there beforehand uh, early on March the 30th, and uh, I think you'll have a good time. Uh, the color of the year is greenery, which is perfect for St. Patrick's Day. A lot of people say, you know, today everybody's Irish. I don't know about that. I'm not Irish, but I'm from the Isle of Man, which is off the coast of Ireland, and that counts. We're going to be talking about gardening every week right here on MPB. Uh, it's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and what we try to do is have a good time and show you that it's okay to garden however you want to. Uh, my producer is the fantastic Java Chapman. Don't know who, who's the phone greeter today. Don't know. Sir Kevin. Kevin Farrell, appreciate that. Well, folks, go to a garden center, go to a farmer's market, take a kids with you, take them to show you what we do best, and that's to find something to plant. Show them how to get down there and get dirty. What it does is it helps build up their immune system and appreciate the world around them. We'll see y'all same time, same place next week. 